0: there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Enjoy! to continue. uh, This is week three of a four-week series about Noah uh, and his ark. Uh, And so uh, as we begin, I want to introduce to you a a beautiful, beautiful little city that's tucked up in the uh, Pennsylvania mountains. I used to live in Pennsylvania for for one year, and I've been to this city two or three times. It's called Johnson, uh, I'm sorry, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you've ever visited Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful little city, and it is absolutely gorgeous uh, this time of the year with the leaves changing. Uh, Just just a beautiful, beautiful place to visit. Well, Well, this beautiful little city has been marked with a lot of tragic history. On Friday, May 31st, 1889... There was a catastrophic failure at the South Forks uh, Dam on the Little Conemaugh River, uh, and it sent, it was 14 miles uh, away from Johnstown. When the dam erupted, it sent almost 15 million cubic meters of water rushing down into to Johnstown uh, with a flood that killed 2,209 people. Uh, most of them were killed instantly. Um... Uh, and in addition to that, there was $17 million worth of damage. Now, $17 million was is different than it was in 1889. So, if you would equate the damage in today's currency, it would have been about $490 million worth of damage uh, because this uh, South Fork Dam broke and the city was flooded. Well, the American Red Cross stepped in, and there was a very famous nurse. Uh, Clara Barton, uh, who no relation that I know of, I'm sure somewhere on Ancestry.com, I'm linked to her. But um, she, she brought all these volunteers and it was a major relief effort because thousands upon thousands of people were homeless. It took years uh, for Johnstown, Pennsylvania to recover. Well, as fate would have it, less than 100 years later, July 20th, 1977, 12 inches of rain fell in under 10 hours, and five major dams failed, um, inundating Johnstown again with millions of gallons of water. Uh, In 1977, 84 people were killed. There were $300 million in damage, and thousands upon thousands were left homeless. Cities can be absolutely destroyed with just inches of flood water. In more recent years, uh, those of us who have a little gray in our beards, we probably remember Hurricane Katrina, right? Hurricane Katrina and how it wreaked havoc, uh, not on just the city of New Orleans, but the entire Gulf Shores area. Uh, Hurricane Katrina flooded and it caused $125 billion worth of damage. My point to all this is simply the fact that water is a very, very powerful force, especially unrestrained floodwaters. During a flood, did you know that it only takes about six inches of water to knock you down? So if you were in flood water and it was at six inches deep, it could literally knock you down off your feet uh, and sweep you away and kill you. It only takes between 18 and 20 inches of water to move a car of, of floodwater water in a flood that's flowing just seven miles per hour. That doesn't seem very fast, does it? But it has the equivalent uh, force per unit as air blowing at an F5 tornado speed. Water moving at 25 miles an hour has the pressure equivalent of wind blowing 790 miles per hour, faster than the speed of sound. Now we know that flood waters at their peak have reached Forward speeds of 67 miles per hour. Flooding water is just this absolute, pure, raw force. And and you can never be fully prepared uh, for a flood, man. It is just raw, raw power. And so, as we continue our series uh, on Noah and his ark, we've already looked at Noah the man, Uh, we've looked at the ark, and this morning we're going to look at the flood. A worldwide divine flood with so much power and so much force, it wiped out every living thing in its path. So we read about the flood in Genesis chapter 7. If you want to get there, we're going to pick up in verse 16. Genesis 7, picking up in verse 16 says, And those that entered, male and female, they're entering the ark, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, And the Lord shut them in. So the Lord shuts the door of the ark. Verse 17. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under heaven were covered... The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubics deep. So remember we talked about week one, what a cubic was. It was a measurement from your elbow to your finger. Uh, So what this is saying is that the highest mountains on the earth were at least 25 feet underwater. So think about Mount Everest for a second. Uh, Imagine Mount Everest. Mount Everest is the highest point above sea level. But during this flood, even Everest was at least 25 feet below raging flood water. There was absolutely nowhere to go. There was no high ground to get to. Uh, Water covered the entire earth at least 25 feet deep. We continue in verse 21. This is the net result of that. All flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all of mankind, everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He, God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man, animals, creeping things, birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were on the ark with him. So you've got this supernatural flood that's caused by God, where he wipes out everything. There are only eight people that would be left in the world. Eight people were spared because they were in the ark. They were spared from God's judgment. And so this whole event of Noah... The ark, the flood, the covenant that we'll talk about next week is this beautiful, beautiful gospel presentation in the Old Testament. It's this beautiful picture of escaping God's judgment. It's this beautiful picture of salvation. So remember week one we talked about Noah is a type of Christ. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Christ was a preacher of righteousness. Noah saved mankind. Jesus saved mankind for eternity. Last week we talked about the ark saying that those inside the ark were safe. That represents the church. We come through Jesus and and we're saved. Today, we're going to talk about a a not-so-fun subject. We're going to talk about the flood. And the flood is a picture of God's judgment. Now, I I won't have you do this. I had the 9 o'clock service close their eyes. But if you were to close your eyes, and, and, and I would say, what do you think about? What what picture comes into your mind when you think about Noah and Noah's Ark? You're probably going to think immediately of a bright colored picture, right? Like this big boat full of these cute animals. Noah and his family standing there on the Ark in their bathrobes. And this nice rainbow in the background. It's, It's kind of a kid's story for many of us. It's cute. It's fuzzy, it's cheery, it's full of giraffes and zebras and bunnies and squirrels and kangaroos coming two by two onto the ark. And yet, if we really stop and think for just a few seconds, we realize that this is not a sweet, fuzzy, crown-colored story. There's a dark element to Noah, the ark, and the flood, and that dark element is the flood itself. That everything, everything that had breath in its lungs, other than that which was on the ark, would be wiped out. Civilization would be gone. I don't know what kind of art fan you are. Um, many of you may have seen some of the paintings of a 19th century uh, French artist known as, goes by Gustave Dor. He's painted over 250 uh, interpretations of the Bible. Several are from the great flood of Noah, and he presents a picture that's not colorful and fuzzy and fun at all. He presents pictures that are absolutely terrifying. I mean, they are wholly horrifying, and they are absolutely gruesome. Uh, There's a picture that's going to come up on one of his paintings. It looks like there's a husband and a wife. They're in the water. They're pressing up onto the last rock in sight. They're, They're children. And you see there's a tiger there with its cub already there. There's some children, and you see bodies already in the water, and mom and dad are frantically trying to to get these children up onto dry land. See, there's no doubt that the story of Noah and the flood is one of the most sobering and honestly one of the most horrifying stories in the Bible because it's a story of judgment. It's a story that tells us the depth of human depravity and how offended God is by evil and by sin. God sending the flood to Noah is a picture of his judgment on sin. You know, I don't know that the evangelical church is very clear about this, but there's another judgment coming onto this world. (laughs) We we love to talk about the grace and the mercy of Jesus, and we're in that season of grace. But when Jesus comes again during his second coming, he's coming in judgment. He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as the Lion of Judah. And so when Jesus rips open the sky, he's coming to take his church home and rain down judgment on Satan, the demons, and those who have rejected Christ. And so... With that in mind, you have a lot of similarities between the, the days of Noah before the flood came and, and the days that we live and before Jesus comes uh, to, to rectify sin and, to, and where, where God comes and brings his final judgment. So I want to compare those two just a little bit today. We'll jump right in. So the sinners in Noah's day were warned of judgment as we are warned of judgment today. So let me ask you a question. When Noah started building this ginormous ark that's over one and a half football fields long, he's a hundred miles away from the ocean, and, and people are starting to see this mass construction. Do you think people had questions? Do you think people stopped by and was like, what you doing, Noah? Like what in the world is this? Uh, like are you building a huge house or now I'm building a boat? They ask questions, right? What 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 in the world is going on? Why are you doing this? What do you think Noah's response to those questions were was? It's going to rain. I'm building this ark because it's going to rain. God told me he's about to wipe the earth out. I'm warning you now, it's going to rain. This is why I'm building this ark. Most credible scholars agree that Noah, it wasn't just Noah and his three sons building the ark, that he indeed had to to contract out some work to, to different craftsmen. And so they were up there probably working on the ark. Do you think they asked Noah what was going on? They got their money, we, we got our paycheck, but why are you having us do this? Like, you know, we need iron and brass and gopher wood. Well, you know, what is going on? What do you think Noah's response was to them? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. God is going to bring down his judgment. So we talked about this in week one. Let me just refresh your memory, take you to 2 Peter 2, 5, that says this. It's talking about the flood. It says, if he, God, didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others he brought up out of the flood. So a herald of righteousness is a witness. It is a messenger. And so here's what we said. Noah was a shipbuilder by day, and he was a preacher by night. So during the day, he was out there building the ark all day long out of gopher wood. Uh, You know, why do they call it gopher wood? Because Noah told his his boys, hey, you need to go for some more wood. Go for wood. Go for wood's not a... Okay. If you want to throw something, now's your chance. All right. (laughs) So so during the day, he's building this ark. He goes home. He eats a bowl of stew with Mrs. Noah. Puts on a, a clean bathrobe and goes into the city. And he is a herald of righteousness. He's preaching during the night. And for 120 years, he had a three-word sermon. Remind me, what was the sermon? It's going to rain. Hey, I'm warning you, it is going to rain. That thing you see on the hill, that ark, that is God's way of preserving mankind. You've got to repent. It's going to rain. For 120 years, they were warned. I feel bad for Noah because, you know, he preached for 120 years and he had seven converts. They were warned. Listen, something that I want you to think about for a second is we have all been warned as well. And the warning is this. Jesus is coming soon. God is going to wage war when Jesus comes. He's riding a white war horse with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. And he's coming to divide and separate the nations He's coming to judge. God is going to wage war on those who rejected him. You know, I don't know if you've read the Bible from cover to cover, but there's, you know, we divide it into Old Testament and New Testament, but there's really three main sections in the entire Bible. The entire Old Testament has one message. There's a Savior coming. There's a Messiah coming. Genesis 3, man, mankind fell. And from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament, it's one message. He's coming. Jesus is coming. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four little books at the beginning of the New Testament all have the same message. He's here. The Savior's here. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. These are the things he says. These are the things he's doing. And then the entire rest of the New Testament has one simple message. He's coming again. He's coming back. Be ready. Hebrews 9.27 says... And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So Paul is saying to the, to the Hebrews, he's saying, listen, there's this appointment that you cannot escape. How many of you have ever canceled like a dentist appointment or a doctor's appointment? So ju- just truth be told, uh, I, I've has, I have a scheduled my 50-year-old physical three different times. And I've canceled all three times because all I can think about is that prostate exam. And I'm like, I I just, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. So for like, I'm sorry, that's so graphic. But uh, so I just canceled the appointment, right? And if I have to pay, if it's not 24 hours, I pay $25. That's fine. I just, I'm not interested in that exam. All right. So we all have appointments that we, that we go to and appointments that we cancel. But Paul's saying, listen, there's this appointment that happens upon death that you, you can't escape it. No one's going to, it is appointed once. You have this appointment. You are going to die. And then after death comes what? Judgment. Judgment. <clears throat> now, if you're in Christ, I've got great news. Judgment passes over you because you're in the ark. You're in the church. God looks at you and says, oh, that's Jesus. Clean. Move on. But if you are not in Christ right now and you're here, be warned. It's going to rain. Jesus is coming back. The second similarity between the days of Noah and the second coming is that destru- destruction was swift. It happened very quickly with the flood, as it will be again when Jesus comes back. Genesis seven eleven says... In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, don't miss this, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened. Okay, so the picture you have of this worldwide flood is not just, you know, heavy rain for 40 days. The picture you have is water coming from below and water coming from above. He says the fountains of the great deep burst forth. You know what scientists have, have, have told us? Underneath our feet, there, there, in, in the ground itself, there are six quintillion gallons of water below us. That's more than, the, than, than that is in all the oceans combined, okay? And so the picture we have from Genesis 7 11 is when God closed the door of the ark, the, the underground water burst forth. So think about where we live. Every well just burst open. Every aquifer, every underwater river and stream just comes bursting out of the ground. To burst forth implies pressure. We've got one of those Instapot cookers, you know, and when you're done cooking, you hit that pressure release and, snee up. This is the picture we get, uh, the water coming up out of the ground, a lot of water very, very quickly. And then it says that the windows of heaven were opened. So think of the hardest rainstorm you've ever been in. And multiply that by a hundredfold. Uh, when, when I picture God flooding the earth, I, I, I picture a hurricane. So think of hurricane force, wind and rain, but not just from one hurricane. Thinking of hurricanes covering the eyes of hurricanes, covering the entire earth at once. And water bursting, all this six quintillion gallons of of water bursting up out of the ground. My point is this, is that God brought judgment and destruction very, very quickly. There was no time to repent when the flood began. Jesus gives the same description of his second coming. I want you to notice how sudden it's going to be. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 39 says, But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let me just pause right there and say I have to chuckle every time some internet preacher or televangelist gets on and says, I have figured out the formula. Jesus is coming back September 29th, 2023. And I'm just sitting there going, man, God didn't even tell Jesus this. And he told you, you must be a pretty important person. And that September 21st comes, or, and what happens? Absolutely nothing. No one knows. Only the Father knows when he's ready to come back. Then look what Jesus does. He draws a parallel between this and the days of Noah. Verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving to marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now, verse 39 is the money phrase here. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So the picture painted here by Jesus is like in the days of Noah, they were living life. They were eating, they were drinking, they were partying, they were going to weddings. And they just looked up and a wall of water engulfed them. That's how quick it happened. They looked up and it was too late. So the picture I always get is if if you remember like your middle school history, remember the ancient city of Pompeii? Uh, Pompeii was this uh, Roman city uh, that was in the basin uh, area of Mount Vesuvius, the volcano. And Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79, And they didn't, the whole city was destroyed. They didn't even know what hit them. It's largely preserved under this ash. People are just frozen in time, right? And so you, you get a snapshot of Roman life. People were just caught off guard and had no chance to escape. Just as sudden as sudden can be. I think the most memorable moment of my lifetime was 9-11. I remember 9-11. It's it's hard to believe it's been 20 years, right? I remember 9-11 like it was uh, yesterday. And I often think about the person sitting in the World Trade Center, all right, at their desk, On their computer, they think they hear something and they look over and there's this huge jet 800 miles per hour coming towards them. They didn't have a chance to scream. They probably didn't have a chance to warn anybody. Just looked up and boom, the plane crashed into the building. This is kind of the picture we get of the flood. And this is also the picture we get of the second coming of Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to be ready because there is no advanced warning. If you're not in Christ today, I'm your advanced warning. I'm telling you, it's going to rain. The end is near. Jesus is coming back. No man knows the hour. And when he comes back, when the sky is ripped open, the period of grace and mercy are over. It's not like, oh, last minute, the sky's ripped open. Forgive me my my many sins come into my heart. Amen. It's too late. We've got to be ready. And so the question is, are you ready? Let me take you to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, or Peter himself writes a lot about Noah. Uh, We've already looked at one passage. We're going to go to chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And I want you to see this. Picking up in verse 18, it says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. That's a head scratcher right there. Because they formerly didn't obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Let me just... Stop for a second. Here's what that that last line means. God wanted to wipe out the earth before the flood. Remember that, week one? He's like, I'm done with this. I'm just going to wipe everyone out, Genesis 6. But then Genesis 6, 8 changed everything. But then he looked and he saw Noah found favor. So, But God's plan in the beginning was, mankind is so crooked, so depraved, it's gotten so bad, I'm just going to wipe everything out and start over. But then he saw Noah. All right. And so what he had to do is he had to wait 120 years for Noah to build the ark. And so he just restrained his wrath. He restrained his judgment while the ark was being built. We get the same question today, right? This is like the number one question people ask me, one of them, well, there's so much evil in the world. Why doesn't God just end it? Like why why doesn't he just come back today, just wipe everything out, take us home, and, and be done with it? And my answer is this He's a patient God. He's steadfast. He's waiting. Just like he waited on Noah for the Ark to be built, he's waiting on us for the church to be built. He knows there's other souls that need Jesus, and he won't come back until those souls accept Jesus. And you and I are part of that church. Then he ends, he says, in which a few, that is, eight persons. Were brought safely through the water. I want to back up for a second because I think this is just a very provocative verse, where, Jesus, where Peter mentions that Jesus, between his death and between his resurrection, went and he proclaimed the news to the spirits in prison. That's a head scratcher. Everybody wants to know about this verse, and there's several different interpretations on this passage. So several different answers to the question, what does it mean that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison? Well, let me offer a few of them to you, just because I think this is just fascinating uh, to, to, to talk about. I don't think it has anything to do with your salvation in Christ, but I think it's just very interesting. Here's one interpretation, the spirits in prison, that Jesus actually went and preached to what we know as the Nephilim. The Nephilim. Look at Genesis 6. Verses 1 through 4. And we studied this passage during our Angels and Demons series uh, last year or the year before that. It says this. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever you see that phrase, the sons of God, it means a fallen angel. Okay? And not a good fallen angel. All right? Those that fell with Satan the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any that they chose. And the, there are, this is where you see the Lord getting really upset here. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. In other words, God is saying it's going to take 120 years to build this ark. I'm going to withhold my wrath, but I'm eventually going to wipe these people out. God's saying, I want to destroy the earth, but I'll wait. I'll put up this with this for 120 years. Now look how bad it had gotten, verse 4. So you have these fallen angels taking human women as their wives, and they're procreating. They're having offspring. Those offspring in the Old Testament are known as the Nephilim. Verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days... And also afterward, remember Goliath, the story of David and Goliath. Goliath is believed to be a Nephilim, a giant. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So the picture you have here is fallen angels sleeping with women, having an offspring these offspring are giants and they're known as Nephilim. So really speaking, if you interpret that passage this way, you've got a creature that's half angel and half human. Does that make sense? We're like in science fiction world now, right? Okay. And they're contaminating the human race. And so God is going to eradicate them. Remember, this is, this, is the, this is three chapters removed from the fall of Genesis. This is at the beginning. Satan is trying very, very hard to, to derail humanity from the beginning. And so he starts out hot and heavy with his fallen angels. And so God destroys the world with a flood. Even giants can, can climb higher mountains, but they can't tread water forever, Right? And so only Noah and his family are saved. So think about these Nephilim, these half-angel, half-human creatures. Uh, They're wiped out. Now, you don't have to believe this. I believe that's where we got demons from. I believe when the Nephilim died, the the fallen angel portion of them, that that became demons because they have to uh, be in a body, have to be in a person. But the argument is these babies had human mothers. So they have to have a soul because humans have souls. But their fathers fathers were fallen angels. So they're much different. And so some people interpret this passage, when Jesus died on the cross, he went to preach to these spirits to proclaim freedom to them if they accepted it. So that's one interpretation. Another interpretation of Jesus proclaiming to the spirits in prison are the spirits in prison are the human spirits of those who actually perished in the flood of Noah's day. All right, and and, and here's the angle they take. That Christ preached to them literally because he was present with Noah through the Holy Spirit who inspired Noah to proclaim the message, it's going to rain, judgment's coming. That's a second interpretation And then there's a lot more than three. But the third main line interpretation uh, is looking at 1 Peter 3 in a greater context. And that is that the work of the cross is both proactive and retroactive. Okay, so when we think about the work of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when God planted the cross in the ground and Jesus died on the cross, we always talk about forward time, don't we? Because Jesus died, we in the future, our sins are forgiven. Jesus tells us explicitly that no one can come to the Father but through the Son. Jesus tells us explicitly, you can't be saved unless you're washed by my blood. So I have a question for you. What about the people in the Old Testament? They sacrificed goats and sheep and birds and pigeons, right? But they were told by God, this blood isn't going to forgive your sins. What's it going to do? It's going to roll them forward from generation to generation, and it's rolling those sins forward to the cross. And so when the cross was planted in the ground, Jesus' grace and mercy extended this way to us, but that way to those in the Old Testament. And so one way to look at this and interpret this passage is that Jesus went when he died down into Hades. He freed those souls and brought them into the presence of God on the cross because of the work of the cross. He went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. See, I think it's open to interpretation. But here's here's one thing that I would love to point out to you. No matter how you interpret that passage of scripture, you have to readily admit that Jesus is in the business of freeing people. We were all bound up in our sins and he knew what kind of shape we were in so he emptied himself willingly on a cross in order to set us free. We all get ourselves imprisoned by the desires of the flesh and the addictions of our heart and Jesus has the key to open that prison door and set us free. No matter how we look at this verse, we have to understand that Jesus Christ is the original chain breaker. Whatever prison you find yourself in this morning, He can free you. He will free you. So, review Noah represents Jesus, a preacher of righteousness, saved humanity just like Jesus did. The ark represents the church. Those inside of the ark were safe from judgment. Those of us inside of the church of Jesus are safe from judgment. The flood represents the great judgment of God. Noah was spared, and we are spared too if we're ready. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.